Hello and welcome to the Irish Mammy podcast. On today's episode, I'll be joined by Aoife Deacon, mum to one, Tyg, who is 14 months old. Aoife, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me today. No problem at all. It's actually fantastic to come on to be part of a little community of women and mums that you have going on. So it's great. I'm delighted and I'm so happy when you messaged me because I was like, as I said to you just before we started, I have this fear of like chasing people down to come on. So when you messaged me, I was like, yes, (laughs) it was great. Great. (laughs) Another one done. And where are you joining me from today, Aoife? Um, From lovely Mead, (laughs) out in the country in Mead, yeah. Lovely. Oh no, that's really nice. I kind of wish I was in more of a country area. I feel like I'd get out a bit more and go walk and I'm not that I'm not but that's my excuse that's, to stick into it I'm like I'm <laughs> I'm in a built-up area that's it that's all we're doing at the moment isn't it just out walking <laughs> yeah it would just be so nice to have like a bit of I suppose like countryside to be out in and taking the stroll in and um, yes, so you're, no, you're one to one little boy yes to a little tyke yeah and as you say yeah he's 14 months oh, so he's brilliant. at that really um really lovely age and I know I you know I kind of find hear myself saying that but at the same you know because all the ages are lovely but I think when you're in it um around just that year mark and kind of going on you kind of think giving yourself a bit of a high five going yes okay we've one year one down and uh it's just such a lovely age you know when he's starting to really kind of understand things and coming into his own his own little personality it's funny that you say that because every time a month passes, I'm like, oh, this is a lovely age. And, yeah. you know, they're doing yeah. they're doing this now. And, you know, it's very funny that you say that. I was only saying that today to Ian. I was like, isn't it so funny? She's coming up to eight months now and um, she's doing all these funny things. And I'm like, isn't this a great age? But I think I say that about everything. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm the same. And I just think it's really funny. It's such a lovely age. And then I'm like, it's all actually lovely. It's just, you know, when you're in it it's it, it is really nice to experience all the new things that they're doing they do so much in the first what, two years I think so um, yeah oh, and they just, learn so much and I think you yeah. see them you're seeing them day to day growing into like the little person that they're becoming which is really funny yeah absolutely and of course you know we have this unbelievable bias towards them don't we like we just anything that they do is so incredible so I kind of look at him when he's picking up new things to do I'm like he's so clever he's so amazing <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? yeah I find myself saying that a lot as well I'm like isn't she so clever look what she's doing now yeah. and then I'll like go on to one of my apps and like oh she's meant to be doing this at this <laughs> age <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's it and um, so tell me about your journey to becoming a mum yeah, so um oh God, I think maybe back in kind of twenty late, maybe twenty seventeen, kind of early twenty eighteen, we just decided um we'd see about how you know how we'd get on if we were to to try for a baby. Um and I suppose it was kind of discussion we had. I know, you know, the norms kind of follow, you know, you might get married and then have a baby. But for us, you know, it was we just kind of felt it was more important to kind of have a baby. Um and yeah, so um, in, uh, I think it was March or April um, 2018, we found out that, that I was pregnant and we were absolutely delighted Um, so happy um, with just the news. And I remember kind of thinking at the time, I remember ringing the rotunda and uh, 
they were like, oh yeah, okay. I, I think I found out quite early that I was pregnant, maybe like two or three weeks um, that I was pregnant and uh, ringing the rotunda and they were saying, oh yeah, okay, well you can come in and give me a date for like 14 weeks. And I remember at the time just thinking, I can't. She's like, I can't wait that long to like go and have my first scan. Um, just remember thinking like I thought it was 12 weeks and you know I'm kind of looking it up on the website and then it was between 12 and 14 weeks so I'd just been you know kind of given the the longer end of an appointment um so I remember kind of saying to Tim I think I, I'd prefer to go for like a private scan um, and we did we went for a private scan it was really lovely like really emotional experience um, <laughs> I remember the sonographer actually she kind of played on my heartstrings a little bit because when we saw the baby she was like oh hello mommy and like you know really kind of got me going and I was like I remember crying and um, the sonographer been like oh my god she's going to cry many a tear over you you know it was really kind of a really personal experience and it was it was really lovely um, and uh, after that scan, we came home and my mom was calling over and we told my mom and then we rang my sisters to let them know that um, I was pregnant as well. And it was just such a really lovely time. Um, and then um, so I think at, when I went for the, uh, for the scan at that time, I was around six or seven weeks pregnant. So it was kind of a really early scan. Um, yeah. I think, and sorry, it's amazing actually, to... actually that they were able to kind of find the pregnancy and stuff that early on yes yeah and uh now I do I kind of you know looking back I remember thinking her, her saying that the baby is a little bit small but I kind of I put it down to the fact that it was kind of it was so early um and then I suppose we kind of fast forward maybe five or six weeks and it was probably the week before I was due in to the rotunda for my you know for the for the first scan there and um I was at my friend a friend's wedding and I remember kind of saying to Tim I you know I just have a bit of a pain in my stomach and it's not really going um and you know we didn't really kind of think anything about it at the time you know it wasn't kind of a really sharp or like you know worrying pain at the time or anything like that it was just this like bit of a dull ache that I had and um we came back from the, my friend's wedding and it, it was still there and it kind of wasn't going. And I was kind of thinking, you know, well, what do I do? Because, you know, it wasn't, didn't really want to take anything. And I knew that I could probably take paracetamol, but other than that, you know, I was kind of reluctant to even take paracetamol at the time. Um, and then that night I got up during the night and I had a bit of a show. And uh, so I went, or so I rang, I remember ringing. It was about three o'clock in the morning. I rang A&E in the rotunda. And they were kind of asking questions and they said, you know, like, you better just come in just in case um, and we'll just check. And I said, OK, no problem. So we kind of remember leaving it a couple of hours because they'd said, you know, just make just take some paracetamol. And if it doesn't go, like, it's probably better that you come in, but just see how you get on. And um, so probably around six o'clock in the morning, I just it, the pain wasn't going. And I just said to Tim, I was like, I think we need to go in. And um, I remember being in the waiting room of. Uh, the rotunda at the time and just making a joke being like god I hope this isn't like some sort of wind pain or something like that you know because I just didn't want to kind of overreact um and yeah we went in and we had a scan and unfortunately um there was no heartbeat and um I remember at the time thinking no I can't I can't be hearing this you know this isn't happening to me um and just kind of yeah the the hours that kind of followed that then um 
you know, being brought from a, like the emergency department over to the early pregnancy unit clinic. Um, and I remember just like walking and Tim was behind me and a nurse was kind of holding me because I was, I was so upset. Um, and, you know, like there's only, I think there's snippets of what I remember because, you know, just of how upset I was at the time, but them kind of saying, you know, the baby didn't progress kind of past eight or nine weeks, but I was probably 12 or 13 weeks kind of pregnant at the time. Um, okay. So what they categorized it was as a, a missed miscarriage so that my body was still experiencing all the things that I it should be thinking that it's still pregnant but actually that you know that there was no heartbeat um, and so I suppose at the time we were kind of given our options around you know what we needed to do and <clears throat> just uh, given I suppose they kind of gave us the space they said you know you don't need to make the decision today but you're kind of you're your normal choices are, you know, that you might let the miscarriage happen naturally or that you would take medication first to kind of help that along or um, that you'd have a DNC, but they were kind of saying that you're not really eligible for a DNC. Like your, your only two options are kind of the first two. Um, so they kind of said, you know, take the 24 hours to kind of think about it, go home and, and come back to us. And um, so I suppose, yeah, myself and Tim came home and, just talking about it really I kind of felt quite strongly I was like you know this is three or four weeks that you know I miscarried and I didn't know and it felt really strange for me to let it happen naturally because it, it wasn't happening naturally like my body was obviously trying to hold on to a pregnancy in some way yeah and um, so I suppose from that we kind of made the decision then to to take medication to support the miscarriage and um, and so, yeah, we, we kind of made that phone call and we were brought back in and um, we were given, you know, the medication. It was really clear about what we needed to do. And I remember kind of having a lot of questions at the time about like, you know, what would happen and what would happen to my body. And, you know, they were, I suppose the expectation that I had from the information that they'd given me was that, you know, that it would be like kind of a really heavy period and a really heavy period pain. Yeah. Um, but I suppose, you know, my experience kind of what followed from taking the medication was probably really far from that. And I ended up being um, brought back into A&E and being admitted into hospital due to the amount of blood loss that I was having wow. for, okay. from the miscarriage. Um, yeah, so it was a really, you know, frightening time for us. Um, yeah, it sounds like you really went through, you know, it sounds like it was really tough and you're you're talking to me about it and you know it's I suppose like I'm in my head I'm kind of going how do you go home after hearing that and be expected to make this big decision because it is mm. a big decision and your head is all over the place I can only imagine yeah so is that a really difficult thing to have to sit down and be like how are we going to yeah I, yeah absolutely such a, a, a tough decision and I suppose you know for Tim, my partner, thinking, you know, ultimately, I suppose he felt strongly, ultimately, it was my decision because it's my body. And, yeah. you know, you know, he absolutely wanted to support kind of whatever decision I was making. So for him, you know, there was kind of a, a lot of like mixed emotions because I suppose he's there trying to support me about, you know, what will happen for me and my body while also obviously grieving the loss of our baby. And, 
you know, for me, kind of, you know, the grief and the loss um, of losing our baby and then kind of, th- you know, the worry around entering into like, you know, this really unknown world that, you know, you hear about miscarriage and you know about miscarriage and we all unfortunately know people who have experienced them. But, you know, when for me, when I got pregnant, it was never like I didn't ever think that that was going to happen to me. Yeah. Um, and I found, you know, that kind of process really difficult. I didn't go in there, you know, on that day to the rotunda ever thinking that I was going to come out with that news. Oh, um, really? You no, just went I, in thinking that maybe you were going to be told that it was stretching pain or something that. Yeah, it just it, honest. I don't even know. Like now, in hindsight, thinking back, I don't know what I thought, but I certainly didn't think that I was going in to be told that there was no heartbeat. I think maybe because we'd had the initial scan yeah, um, and that there was, and it was a strong heartbeat, you know, that that kind of maybe, you know, made me think like that. But yeah, I wasn't, I didn't go in that day thinking that that was the news. And would you think that it might've made it harder because you'd seen this, you know, you'd seen this baby on the screen and you'd seen the heartbeat and, you know, he said that the sonographer was so nice and she was like, congratulations, mommy. And yeah did that make it harder was that did that make it more personal like obviously it's personal but did that make it a bit harder to swallow because you'd gone for one scan and it was a healthy pregnancy and yes yeah absolutely I think so and it 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 allowed us quite early on I think to have all these hopes and dreams and you know all these things that you wish for your little baby you know or kind of you you almost project yourself kind of into the future a little bit when you find out that you're pregnant because all of a sudden you have all these hopes and dreams for this little baby. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. I I remember having that in my head before I was even pregnant. Yeah. 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 And all of a sudden that's gone. And I think that's partly, you know, probably we, we allowed ourselves to go there maybe more than you would normally. I'm not sure, you know, it's hard because my experience of pregnancy is obviously has miscarriage involved in it so it's hard for me to kind of say you know in if you've had just one pregnancy and you've had a baby at the end of that but um certainly yeah there's that real kind of sense that we we allowed ourselves to maybe go there sooner than than you might um to have all these kind of hopes and dreams and you know I remember we like you know we I can't remember the how we named the little baby but at the time we kept calling it Pip and so like there was re- this real attachment to to the baby for for weeks um even though and we didn't know that there was no heartbeat you know so yeah and how was your recovery then you said you went into A&E after yeah. taking the medication so was that quite a long recovery for you was it quite uh, yeah, strenuous I... on your body and yeah and you know I don't I don't really know about you know other people's experience but I suppose unfortunately you know when I'd gone into the hospital and I was in overnight and then they scan you again the next day to make sure you know your body has done what it needs to do and the medication has done done that I had a clot left and so they kind of recommended that I would take another dose of the, the medication and I remember being in the hospital bed and saying to the nurse, but um, is it going to be like what I experienced yesterday? Because if it is, I would rather, you know, see whether we can get, get rid of the clock kind of naturally or whether that's just going to go. And 
she was really clear with me. She was like, no, absolutely not. Nothing like that. You know, it's, that's not going to happen. And so I said, okay. And I'd taken one, uh, one dose of the medication then. And um, again, I ended up back in A&E the following night. So I was discharged and I ended up back in A&E again that night. Um, again, with just this really excessive bleeding. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't, um, I didn't have to stay that night. Like they discharged me there and then. Um, but for eight weeks following that, I was in and out of A&E um, with these really like excessive bleeding with clots. Um, and they're just, they didn't know what was happening or what was going on. Um, and so it was, yeah, like in terms of like, you know, <clears throat> dealing with the miscarriage and the grief and the loss that you experience around that. And then all this on top of it for your body um, and just the trauma kind of attached to that. Like I, I and use the word the cruelty then as well of having to go back into a maternity hospital after the loss of a baby time and time again because it's it is a maternity issue it's it's a gynecology it's a gynecological issue so when you're going in you know it's almost seems cruel that the hospital that you have to go to is a hospital where other women are going in with healthy pregnancies and coming out with babies and stuff so yeah I just can't I can't get my head like obviously it has to be done but it just it just seems very like a cruel thing to have to do to go back in there for eight weeks you know following a miscarriage yeah and you do you you really do feel it and I I do understand you know the logistics around it in terms of the hospital but you know you are sitting there with women who are you know pregnant and you can see you know um I remember listening to your earlier podcast and you were talking about unit three and I was like what's unit three um but kind of having the same um kind of feeling around the early pregnancy unit in the rotunda yeah and that place is full of joy and sheer devastation all at the same time yeah. and it you know I've been there for the devastation and I've been there for the joy and but it it doesn't feel like it should be a place that the two should be combined no definitely not you know, it's 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 heart wrenching. You're kind of sitting there. You're all told to come at the same time at eight o'clock. You know, and you don't have an appointment, so everyone is there, and you can see there's either fear or there's and there's hope. You know, all mixed into this room, and you're all sitting there in this waiting room, and you can see each time someone coming out, and it's either you know good news or bad news, and yeah, like it's it's there's it's traumatic, you know, sitting there. And waiting for your turn to be told, you know, is is this going to be viable or is it not? Yeah. Are you going to be getting there? Are you going to be the person coming out with the good news or the bad news? Yes. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. And then, you know, so so you're you're in and out of the hospital for eight weeks. And then when does or does the idea of, you know, trying again come into your head? Yeah, I think I became a little bit fixated on that kind of over that's the course of that thinking right we have to you know try and get pregnant again straight away because you know you're most well, fertile they say don't yeah, they yeah I Which don't really know what bizarre. my rationale yeah <laughs> yeah um I don't know what my rationale kind of around that was but um yeah and so I think so I miscarried in in May and um then in September I became pregnant again which is, you know, when we look at the kind of eight weeks and then getting pregnant again, you know, that was, it was really soon um, to, to get pregnant. And again, we decided that we'd go for an early scan um, 
And I think that was probably to relieve some anxiety really on my end kind of around this. Yeah, of course. Um, and so we went for an early scan and um, I remember again, I couldn't go back to the same sonographer. So we went to a different place and um, I remember her like, you know, putting the, the machine on me and kind of looking around. And I just, I just had this feeling in the pit of my stomach. I just thought it's happening again. I know it. And she said to me, oh, Aoife, can you just go to the toilet? You know, Because you know the way you have to go in with a full bladder. And so she was like, Aoife, can you go to the toilet for me and we'll come back? I just can't see. It might, it might just be a bit too early. And I said, yeah, OK, no problem. And I came back and she just said, you know, the baby's heart rate is really low. I think it was at like something like 60 or something like that. And she said, okay. no, that could be around, you know, because of the weeks in terms of the pregnancy. Um, and I was like, OK, right. And then at the end, we went to pay. And she said, no, no, we don't take payment if it's not good news. And I just thought, you never, you didn't tell me it wasn't good news. Oh so I don't know how to take this, you know, like, am I, am I going to miscarry again? Or is it because, you know, we're around the six, seven, eight week mark and it's just too early to, to pick it up. So um, I remember, I remember saying to Tim, this is worse. This is worse. If I miscarry, this is worse this time because... I just have to wait for it to happen. And we, because we'd gone to a private clinic, there was no kind of follow-up. You know, it wasn't like, okay, we're going to bring you back in a week. And check um, again in a week. Yeah. 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 Um, so we just, it was a bit of a waiting game. They did say, they, I remember, I remember it so well. She was like, we'll send on a referral to, um, to the rotunda and we'll fax it over and I just I just remember in the time it was all around the time new GDPR had come in so I was like they don't even have faxes anymore like thinking like why is she faxing it over they're not going to get it yeah um, and I rang I remember kind of ringing the rotunda and you know not really kind of being able to get a response uh, from the early pregnancy unit either and then um, I think that was on the Friday that we went and then on the Wednesday I remember coming home to Tim and sitting on the couch and I said it's happening again and he just kind of looked at me and I just thought, you know, I, I recognize this pain. You know, it's it was really similar pain to when I'd taken the medication. And I was like, and he said, you know what, Aoife, just go to bed. Like, don't get worked up. Like, let's just see. And we'll, we'll phone the hospital in the morning. And I was like, yeah, OK, let's do that. But I knew I lay in bed and I just I knew like this pain and I knew what was going to come the next morning. And I woke up and yeah, I I was miscarrying so I went into the into the hospital and I remember the midwife being so lovely she was kind of sitting there she's like what can I do for you today Eva? and I just said I think I'm miscarrying and she just held my hand and she was like it's okay we'll we'll figure it out and so I went in and had a scan and at that point actually you know she, there was no evidence of a pregnancy at all oh my um, goodness so it just happened you know really quickly yeah um, and you know I kind of look back on that time and I just think, you know, the difference from that miscarriage in comparison to my first, there was so much trauma attached in the to the first, one. sorry, in the first one. Okay. You know, that it's not that, you know, one is any, you know, in terms of the grief and the loss that you experience of losing your baby, like, you know, I can say that they are, they were similar. Yeah. But in terms of actually, you know, the kind of getting back to normal in terms of your body yeah 
you know, that the second miscarriage, you know, there, it, it was nothing like the first. And I kind of, you know, my body recovered from that much quicker than than the first time, certainly. OK. And in hindsight, I know you can't. But, you know, if you were to go back and tell yourself when the first miscarriage happened, would you have chosen then to have not taken the medication? I think if I were to go back. Or do you think back, you needed to take the medication because, you know, it had gone on so long? Yeah, I, I think the only thing that I would have changed in terms of the first one was that I wouldn't have taken the second dose for the clot. Yeah. Um, I think that just pushed my body to a limit. It had already been through. You know, I remember going into the hospital and... um. Like, I think like I was actually contracting, you know, like and like they they were just constant. I was in the car in the car and Tim was just so calm getting me into the rotunda, you know, and I was like I was in my mind, like how I think about it is I was like essentially maybe hemorrhaging like and the nurses I remember going in like and they just got me into into a wheelchair and brought me into the A&E. And I just remember a doctor saying, oh, God, get her on the bed. And I don't remember a huge amount after that. And then I just another nurse saw me the next day and she said, you look a million times better than than you you looked looked yesterday. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So that's such a lot to go through. And in such a short space of time, you know, in the same year to go through two miscarriages, you know, and I suppose looking back, that's probably one of the worst years for you because of what you went through yeah such a you know and I time is a healer it absolutely is and you know I kind of look back on that time and that's part of my pregnancy story and journey and but it does take something from you overall I think you know and I I do remember at the time looking at the world with bitterness you know and something so tragic had happened to me and my life and the world kept going and yeah. I was so angry with the world, like, you know, at the time. And but it was it wasn't an anger that I'd ever experienced. It wasn't like, you know, when you're really annoyed at something or like, you know, you get angry and you're, you know, having an argument or something. It, I didn't identify it as anger um, until I went to therapy. And she was like, well, what is this? What are you feeling? And I remember just thinking, actually, I came away one day and I was like, that was I'm angry. I'm angry. And she was like, well, that's okay. And I was like, but I actually have never felt this kind of anger before. Yeah. Um, And I, yeah, I was just really angry with the world that the world could continue, which of course it does, you know? Yeah. Um, But that, you know, something so horrible had happened for me and it just, you know, the world kept going on. And understandably, like, you know, it's, you're totally within your right to be angry because I suppose I, yeah, I kind of relate to that in a, in a different kind of way. My body wouldn't get pregnant on its own. And I know that I wouldn't wish a mis- miscarriage on anyone. And it was definitely a huge fear for me that if I ever did get pregnant, that I might miscarriage and uh, mm. miscarry. But I remember having this anger, like again, like you said, like at the world, because I was everywhere I looked, there were pregnant women everywhere everywhere I looked and I remember at the time when I was trying to get pregnant that somebody that I know fell pregnant from a one-night stand and that tipped me over the edge Mm -hmm. 
I that was an over the edge one for me I was like that's it I'm giving up I'm thrown in the towel like <laughs> you know I was just so infuriated because yeah. I was like here I am trying everything I can to get pregnant and somebody who's not trying to get pregnant gets pregnant yes yeah and I re- I remember just being so angry so that really resonates with me that you were so angry that this had happened to you and obviously God, what I went through was nothing in comparison to having a miscarriage. Like it really isn't. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. So how did you pick the pieces back up then? Like how did yourself and him, you know, was it a while before you could kind of start thinking, like thinking about like, like obviously two miscarriages for anyone is a lot to go mm. through. So, you know, when, how does the conversation come up about maybe we'll try again? Yeah, I think there, I, I'd imagine there's a lot of fear around it. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, really, it was about kind of respecting what had happened to my body as well. And, you know, kind of even thinking, even if we did try again really soon after, like, is my body even able for that, like ready for that after everything that has happened? So that was in the second miscarriage was in September. And um, we said, no way until like even you know look at the end of the year let's just just stop and just give your body like the break that it needs yeah let it um, and then that's it yeah and just give yourself time and space and even let your mind recover and your you know your whole your body is your whole being you just I think when you go through something like that it's really important to kind of let yourself settle and yeah absolutely and it brings up a lot like you know I know the girl who you had on last week was kind of saying, you know, it affects people differently. And of course it does, you know, and something I remember going back to work and having to go back to, um, you know, to HR because I'd been off for, for a while. And um, her saying to me, you know, well, how do you feel about it? Because it's no cross to bear for some people. And I got so annoyed at that. And I just thought, you know, like, well, it is a cross for me to bear. And I have to come to terms with it. And yeah, so, you know, with allowing my body to heal, I also had to allow my mind to heal. And, you know, I, I, the second, my second miscarriage, I think because the first one had been so traumatic, the second one, I felt kind of a lot of shame and kind of guilt around it. And, you know, I'm sure if some of my friends actually would listen to this, they'll be surprised to even hear that I've had a second miscarriage because I haven't hadn't haven't told some of my friends because I couldn't go there. Yeah, I couldn't go through. You know, I'm a I am a proud person and I acknowledge that. I'm I couldn't go through people pitying me because I had you know a second miscarriage and that was a lot for me to kind of contend with. Was you know people's generosity towards me in terms of you know that they acknowledged my miscarriage and but I couldn't go through that a second time and that was for me that was a pride piece and you know that there was shame attached to it as well that there was something wrong with me that I wasn't able to you know carry a baby or you know get it to get this pregnancy to a point that you know it would be viable so I had to kind of work on that a lot um before we kind of thought about trying again god like it just sounds like such an awful lot to carry on your shoulders like you just sound like you're carrying the weight of world of the world 
on your shoulders like I, I feel like when I speak to you about it and you're saying that you didn't tell your friends or anything like you just sound like you were just carrying the weight of the world on yeah. your shoulders so you had to work through a lot of your own kind of feelings and emotions and stuff and then how did you end up with a 14 month old like <laughs> I'm like I'm like waiting to get here I'm like I just like knowing that you have tied now I'm like there's such a happy part of me after hearing yeah. all that you went through so please <laughs> please tell me about yeah, how the, the, the happy stuff yeah no no I just yeah. like <laughs> no that sounds terrible no it's just I feel like you went through so much so I'm dying to hear yeah. like when you got your joyous moment because you know it yeah. sounds like you really went through the ring and oh, I just it's I don't know we're getting yeah. goosebumps sitting here listening to it I'm like oh my god I feel everything that you're saying yeah it is you know and I think it's, it's such um I think when you become a mum as well you you know them feelings you know the feeling of what it's like to find out that you're pregnant and have them hopes and dreams for this little baby who you haven't even met and you know what they're going to look like when they're six and seven and you know all this kind of thing that you've attached to it so I think sometimes you know when you're talking to another mum they get it on a different level of you know what it must be like to maybe have a miscarriage or not be able to conceive or have to go through kind of IVF and ultimately here we are with the desire despite you know two miscarriages and for you despite you know everything that you went through to get pregnant we still are there trying yeah to do it to bring this little baby into the world yeah (laughs) and which I think says a lot really you know that we'll just keep we keep trying until until we can and uh yeah so I am god yeah I found out I remember my sister actually the uh was pregnant and at the at the time and I remember she lives in Spain and I went over to her and she was like you know how are you and you know where are you at with things and I was like I actually think that I might be pregnant and she was like what and I was like yeah but I'm not sure I'm going to wait until we go home to do a test and I was like I'm just you know a day or two late so I'm just I think I I, I think I'm going to do that and she was like right okay okay and I could see that she was trying to contain it for me but like obviously for her like she was excited you know about our news like our possible news um so yeah I found out that I was pregnant I think in April maybe and did you wait until you got home yeah yeah oh god you've a totally different sister to mine if that if I had have even had an inkling that I might have been pregnant my sister would have like grabbed me by the arm and dragged me to a shop and been like we are getting a test right and I know she'll be listening to this going yeah yeah no I would (laughs) she would have like literally she would have been a thorn in my side until I took a pregnancy test so like fair play to your sister she is so like patient in compared to mine So I never even thought about it. it must have been like maybe a bit of torture for her like because she was pregnant herself and so she must have been like god are we going to have like children really close together like just tell me just find out um but yeah no we waited until I got home and um yeah we found out that we were pregnant and um you know it was as you say it was so joyous but equally there was such trepidation attached to it um and um I remember ringing the rotunda and them saying, okay, but you need to come in to the early pregnancy unit. And I was like, oh God, I don't, don't know. Do we want to, don't again. bring me back there again. You know, this place that becomes so familiar to me. And I remember, you know, the morning of the scan, 
and uh, thinking it's my turn. It's my turn. It has to be my turn that I'm going to walk out there and with the lovely the scan pictures and I'm going to be happy. Like it has to be my turn. And so we went in and I was seven weeks pregnant at the time. And it was such a lovely experience, you know, like everything was as it should be. And they did just say, they were like, look, the baby is just measuring a week behind. So we just want you to come back in next week. And I just thought, okay, you just have to hold it for a week, Aoife. You have to just get your shit together and hold it for a week, essentially. And um, I remember thinking at the time, it's your turn. I just kept telling myself, it's your turn. This isn't going to happen to you for a third time. It's not. And we went back in a week later and the, the nurse was like, or the sonographer was like, yeah, all good. You're good to go. Oh and my God. Yeah. Did and you that burst was, into that tears? I I just, yeah. <laughs> I just remember walking out, just going, this is it. This is it. This is We've our time. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's We've fine. Done it. Oh <laughs> just, my God. Yeah, been so ha- And I know that like, you know, for my family, that they were like particularly my mom would be like the moment you get out of there you have to ring me like and, and tell me because she was like you know it doesn't matter what kind of news it is if I just good bad indifferent you just need to tell me so I remember making that phone call and just being so happy that it was I'd all say okay there were tears all around I'd yeah. say your mom and your sisters and I just say everyone was just thrilled to hear just, that yeah yeah absolutely yeah it was just it was it was such a lovely time and just the experience that it should have been if you know what I mean you know that we were able to you know to have that for me you know that kind of real happiness and that kind of exhilaration was somewhat short-lived I suppose from my own like you know the two previous experiences it was hard for me throughout my pregnancy to kind of let go of oh I can only imagine what might be you know um, and did you just, always have kind of a doubt in your mind at all times throughout your pregnancy that something could happen yeah yes throughout my whole and I remember you know Tim always kind of saying to me Aoife it's not that it's potluck like he wasn't minimizing it but as you say like one in four pregnancies you know aren't successful and he was like it's the look at the draw you know it's not about you it's not about me yeah um and he was like this time he was kind of trying to say to me like we're not the one in four this time you know it's, yeah. it's okay it's okay we're, like, you're the it's three going. you're one yeah. of those three <laughs> yeah. yeah um and so you know he was so level-headed about it which is what I needed you know he yeah. was just always throughout the pregnancy just this real like you know unwavering presence that I needed because there are times where I just couldn't you know I couldn't get myself out of that feeling that something might happen yeah um and I remember always kind of thinking like that like god wouldn't it be so lovely to go through a pregnancy and not know what it's like to lose a baby and just have this like just joy you know and just happiness and like I you know for me it was like little milestones like people would say to me you know have you started getting stuff for the baby yet and I'd be like absolutely not you know, because I couldn't go there to be like, at the end of this, I'm actually going to have a baby. Like, I think I was in the, th- like, in my final trimester before I was like, right, okay. <laughs> I was as well, though. I have to say, like, I used to go into shops with my mom and my sister and I was going to the shops with them and they'd be like, oh, we just pick this up for the baby. And I'd be like, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah. 
I just had it in my head. I was like, if I buy anything before in 20 weeks, I'm going to jinx myself and something's going to happen. Yeah. And I'm going to go in for that big scan and they're going to tell me something's wrong. Or I just had this idea in my head that it was just too good to be true. Yes. Okay. Well, it's really good to hear that. Like, it's lovely, you know, in an in a, in a odd way, it's nice to hear that, that someone else is that. Yeah, no, it really was. And I remember going into the shops and they'd be like, oh, just pick up this. And I'd be like, put that down. Just mm. no, you're not buying that. Um, yeah, we were the same as in like we just didn't buy anything until I was well over that 20 weeks because I just couldn't bring myself to, you know, think that this was actually real. Yes. And it yeah. was happening. And, you know, like yourself, like you were trying for a while then as well with, you know, miscarriages in between so what was pregnancy like for you like obviously there was a lot of anxiety around whether the pregnancy would be successful until the end but how did you feel being pregnant did you enjoy it or was there just too much anxiety surrounding your pregnancy yeah I did like in the actual pregnancy itself I really enjoyed I like I liked being pregnant um like I didn't have any like really extreme kind of like responses or anything like that like you know I didn't have morning sickness or cravings really or anything like that so um overall like it was kind of quite a seamless pregnancy um it sounds like just what you needed though yeah yeah, to be fair (laughs) you know to be absolutely fair like I couldn't like you know if if you were the person to get that warnings, I don't even know what it's called. I know the name of it in my head, but I can't pronounce it. So I'm not even going to try. But, you know, that pregnancy sickness that happens. Oh, from yeah. Like happens all, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you were one of those women, I would just be like, oh, here, Eva. Give <laughs> this woman a break. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you know, so it was quite, I suppose it's lovely to hear that you had a very uneventful pregnancy. Yes. Yeah. I don't know how much more could be thrown at you after everything that you went through yeah no I think I was really lucky you know it was as I think the doctors say that like it, it was an unremarkable pregnancy and I was like at the time being like what a word like to use that it's unremarkable but it totally was it was absolutely unremarkable um, just textbook just textbook. exactly what you needed yeah, just everything yeah until we got to 37 weeks pregnant and uh I had opted for the um between like the hospital and the the, the nurses midwife so, scheme yes sorry yeah again baby brain like we were talking about this just before I can't remember certain things now um so we I remember being at like a couple of them scans um you know where they just have the handheld machine and them not being able to find Tyke's heartbeat or just it just taking ages but like I was able to feel him at the time so it was you know I, I wasn't panicked I was like I can feel like he's kicking me there like you know yeah and I think it was around maybe I think it might have been my 34 or 35 week scan or something like that and I was actually in the rotunda and uh it was a student midwife and she was getting so stressed because it was like I was on the table for about 10 minutes and then the midwife was just like look it's okay I'll I'll try and find it and uh, her, like she was even struggling, like, and she found it eventually. And then at the end, she said, look, for your next one, we're just actually going to refer you to the doctor because the baby's getting a bit distressed, you know, with all the poking and prodding and, yeah, you know, it's not fair. And it'll only take two minutes for them to do it. And I was like, grand, no problem. And like, I hadn't seen a doctor throughout this whole, like my whole pregnancy. And so I was 37 weeks and three days, I think, when I went in for that, for my scan. And the doctor being like, 
this baby is breech. And myself and Tim kind of been like, okay, like, you know, not really thinking anything of it, you know, and uh, he was like, the doctor was in a bit of a panic. And I remember thinking like, why is he panicking? You know, it's, it seems a bit extreme. Like, I'm sure, like, this is okay. And uh, he was like, I have to go find out when this clinic is on. And so he left and he came back and he basically, like at that time, he said, um, we need to try and turn the baby um, to get him into position. And the cutoff date for that is 38 weeks. And the clinic only sits once a week on a Friday and you are 38 weeks and one day on Friday. I don't know if they're going to take you. And I was like, Okay, like one day. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, they're very strict with the cutoff, and I was like, right, okay. And um, I think at that point, he kind of realized that we weren't getting it, and he was like, "Eva, do you realize that if we can't turn the baby, you're having a section?" And I was like, "Oh, right, no." just hadn't dawned on me like I do I remember the conversations that me and Tim sitting in this room and like what is he panicking about like what's going on and I was like oh right okay so and he was like so if we can't if on Friday if we can't turn you you'll be probably in you might be in over Christmas to have a section and I was like well because I was due on the 3rd of January and I was like oh right okay so he kind of went through all the options and then we went to the clinic on the Friday and um, the doctor at the time, you know, going to do the turn, she was like, we're just going to apply a bit of gentle pressure. Eva. Now I will say I have a high pain threshold and dear God, the pain that I experienced for her trying to turn the baby. I was like, you are coming nowhere near me ever again. Really <laughs> it, was dreadful, was it? It was horrendous. Like on it, the pain I experienced, I was like, I think maybe because she'd pretensed it with gentle pressure. Yeah, I think if you're prepared gentle. for like, I think like if even this is going to be really uncomfortable. You know? Yeah, if you had mentally prepared yourself for how uncomfortable it was going to be, you might have been a bit better with dealing with it. Yeah, but um, yeah, and I remember they like, so they scan you beforehand and then they try and do the turn and then they scan you afterwards. And she just said, he hasn't even budged a centimeter and he was like she was like normally what would happen now if I see a little bit of movement I'd go again and uh and try and turn her go and don't even try you're not even touching me (laughs) but then she's so she was like so um she said even if we were able to turn to me for you'd be in here on Monday for an induction and I was like what like this was before Christmas so I was like I'm not due for like weeks and uh, she said he's just measuring a little bit small so he should have been like he he was measuring at 36 weeks as opposed to the 38 week mark so she was like you know if we manage to turn him you're in on Monday for an induction and this is on the Friday yeah. and if not um, if we can't turn him you're in on you're probably in on Monday for a section and for a pregnancy that was unremarkable I was like so I'm having my baby on Monday yeah it, you know I was like what like I was all prepared for you know to sit down and veg out over Christmas and like you know watch all these Christmas films and everything but it wasn't to be so yeah he didn't turn and um so into the rotunda I went Monday and I morning. remember that surrealness of being given a date 
to go in and be like this is like the day you're going to become a mom yeah because for everyone else like they're waiting and like I don't know if you follow Mrs Makeup on Instagram but I'm following her at the moment and she's like on her ball and trying to get the baby out and go for big walks and everything and I remember being pregnant being like that's going to be me I'm going to be on my ball trying to get that baby out and walking like the estate and like going for big walks and everything and it wasn't like that at all like I was told you're coming in on Thursday and that's the day that we're going to induce you and I was it was just for me it was just so surreal that I was given a specific day that yes. I was going to go into the hospital and I knew I wasn't coming out of that hospital without a baby. A 100%, yeah. It's absolutely. so surreal. So they obviously couldn't turn him then on mm. the day. So were you literally just booked in? Yeah, so they kept saying, look, we're just, it's busy over Christmas. So we're going to see, we'll either give you the 23rd or 27th. We just need to check with theatre. And um, I was like, right, okay. And um, so they came back and said, you're in on the 23rd so you'll be in here for Christmas and I said that's okay they were like you know they were trying to be really like nice and they were like we tried to get the 27th so you could have Christmas but you know we couldn't and I was like you know for me given my previous experiences I was like I don't care once yeah. he is here and he's safe and that's the best way for it to happen I don't care I'll yeah. come in whenever I'd come in on Christmas Day. It wouldn't make. And a did difference. you find out that you were having a boy? Actually, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tim had said, um, "I need to just prepare myself. I know what I'm doing. If I if it's a boy and I have to you know, throw a rugby ball around in the back garden, he's like, but if I need to prepare myself for like tea parties and little crowns, like I need to just a bit more time." <laughs> I will say that to my partner and be like, we didn't, we didn't prepare you enough. So yeah, Tim really wanted to find out. I, don't, I didn't really mind. I was kind of on the fence, but he was like, I just need to prepare myself for a bit longer if I need to start thinking about tea parties and like, yeah, tiaras and crowns and all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's so, fair enough. Absolutely yeah. fair. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, we knew kind of from that 20 week scan that we were having a boy. So we were delighted, yeah. And so the 23rd comes around and you go in first thing in the morning and were you waiting all day for your section or were you quite lucky and were you one of the early ones? We went in with this because again, they kept saying to us, you know, it's Christmas. We don't know about beds, you know, we just be prepared to wait. And we were like, right, okay, no problem. They were like, come in at, you know, eight o'clock and um, just be prepared. And we were like, okay, no problem. That's fine. So... I remember going in and at half eight, we were checked in and they said, go on up to the ward there. And I was like, oh, it's the ward where we must wait. Not thinking like, you know, that the process was happening already. And then I got to the ward and they were like, no problem. We're going to get your gown and your socks. And I thought, OK, I must wait in the bed then. You know, the long wait must happen here. Yeah. But um, a doctor came, did a check, like did a scan, like baby was still breech. And I think it was like 11 o'clock, Tim stood up and was like, I'm just going to run to the loo. Do you think I have time? I was like, yeah, you have plenty of time. Sure, we'll and be the, here all day. <laughs> all day. I think we'll be here till about five o'clock. And uh, the nurse actually stopped me going, where are you going? I'm bringing her down now. Oh, my God. And I just thought, oh, my God. I was like, I know I wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> that was the moment where I thought, I'm not prepared for this. As I'm being wheeled down to theatre going, I... I just thought I had a few more hours. And were you nervous about having a section? Because 
I didn't know mine was an emergency so I, I didn't okay. really have I didn't really have that time to prepare myself that I was going to have a cesarean section so were you nervous about it or were you just kind of like did you like the controlled setting of it because I know a lot of people do yeah I think you know again kind of relating it back to my miscarriages yeah I really I I did and I I felt as soon as I found out that I was having a section yeah for me I thought okay and that's probably the moment that I relaxed in my pregnancy and just yeah thought, it's okay he's going to be here and it'll be safe and it's fine and um, it happens so quickly like that from the time that you're brought into theater to the time that that child comes out like it's so quick and it's so controlled yeah. and it feels very safe yes yeah absolutely and yeah there is just this real kind of like I suppose because it's surgery you know they're kind of really guiding you through it step by step and you know what to expect and they're double and triple checking with you that you know what you're consenting to and what's going to happen yeah so there was something you know really kind of assuring in that process for me that you know it's going to be okay and he's going to be here and it's safe and I'm safe and everything's all right I think at that point I was probably more worried about Tim because I was like I hope he's not going to pass out now in the theatre yeah well Ian was coming into the theatre as they were pulling Lucy out so her head was out of my stomach wow they'd forgotten about him (laughs) basically I was lying on the table and I could feel all this movement and I just thought that they were like I don't know like disinfecting my stomach or I don't know what because I couldn't I can't feel anything yeah so I just remember like lying on the table and kind of being pulled from pillar to post and I didn't really Mm. And then I just said to the nurse who was sitting beside me, holding my hand, I was like, um, do you know where Ian is? And they were like, who? And I was like, uh, the daddy. And they were like, oh, quick, get the daddy, get him. And he <laughs> ran into the theatre. Like they ran out, grabbed him. And as he was coming in, her head was out. And I was like, please don't pass out. Please, please. Don't <laughs> head down, head down. <laughs> and he sat down beside me and he was like, are you OK? And I was like, yeah, are you OK? Because I knew that he'd seen this. So he literally, he'd only like literally gotten to the stool and they pulled her out and they were like, oh, congratulations. Oh my so it was, God. Yeah, it was very bizarre. And was, was he so okay? Rushed. Yeah, he was fine. <laughs> okay. He was fine. He didn't get to have time to not be okay. I was yeah, like, you're this fine. Is true. You're yeah, fine. I'm having the baby here. So yeah, no. And how did Tim find the whole process of the cesarean? Because I know it's so, str- like, it, like, obviously it's strange for us, but I can't imagine sitting there and watching your partner yeah. on the table. Yeah, and I think the, th- the fact that you have to be brought in before they can be brought in and then, you know, whatever way it worked out, I went into theatre and then I had to come back out for like just a, a couple of minutes because they needed to do something else. And I remember saying to Tim, when you open the doors and you go through, I said, my feet are first. So put your head down because unless you want to see, because they said, we don't know what stage you were going to be at when, you're, when we're bringing Tim in. So I remember just thinking, God, he could pass out, you know, seeing God knows what he'll see. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but for him, you know, I think, yeah, he was just, I think, worried for me. Um, we kind of laugh a little bit because I do like it is there's a real feeling about being pulled kind of pillar to post and but not really having a feeling about what's going on. Your body's moving. Yeah. But you've no sensation around that. So it's, it's, it's really so bizarre. bizarre. <laughs> so Um, strange I try to explain this to people who've never had one and I'm like it's so weird it's like your body is alien to you but you can feel that you're being moved but you can't feel the sensation of what's going on 
Yeah. And I think in some ways it potentially impacts other senses that you normally have, like that you might be have more awareness around because what got him was the noise, he said, or the sound that he could hear kind of attached to that movement, maybe yeah. and like suction and stuff. And that was what was making him feel a bit queasy. But I've no recollection of that. Like, I don't remember hearing anything or smelling anything or. I remember the cauterizing pen. Oh, yeah, I remember that smell distinctively. Right. Yeah, I was, I don't know. I just, I just remember being so sick. Did they give you the little solution that you have to drink before? God, I can't before remember. The, so they gave me this solution to like settle any acid or I don't know what it was for, yes. for my stomach. Yeah. And that, that hit my, my stomach and came straight back up and oh. I vomited for about 15 minutes before they could operate. Oh God. I was so sick. I was so sick with that. And I just remember coming out and saying to Ian, if I ever have another baby and they have to give me a C-section, that can F right off. I am not taking that stuff ever again. And he was like, okay. For me, that was the whole worst part of the whole thing. Out of major surgery. Out of everything that happened to me that whole time. Like I went in on the Thursday at 7 a.m. and she wasn't born until half nine on the Friday night. Oh my god! Like, and I was going what a through. Long time. I was going through like contractions and then emerge, and that was the worst part for me was taking that solution because I was so sick. I was sick as a dog for like half an hour, and they couldn't like they couldn't even begin my surgery because I was so sick. So on top of everything that you'd been through, like this that was the worst. The worst. I, that like... was that was definitely the worst memory now it did it did smell a bit funny did it oh, like it, I, didn't funny even, I didn't i just remember thinking like i was just down at like it's a shot and i just threw mm. the whole thing into my mouth <laughs> and ian was like he was in the lift with me they brought me up in the lift and he was like are you sure that's a good idea and i was like yeah just down the hatch if i just drink it really quick like a <laughs> shot it'll be fine no no it hit my stomach and that was it it was that just was game fun. over <laughs> so what time was he born then so he was born at 12 6 god and was yeah 12 or 6 p.m yeah yeah oh my god yeah so yeah we were in the hospital at like eight o'clock and um yeah I think like we went down to to theater around 11 or just after 11 and I remember on the way down Tim being like what time do you think he's gonna be born and I was like just after 12 I think and we oh both agreed, God. like, oh, yeah, it's still going to be just. And it was 12.06 he was born. And was he a small baby? Do you know the way they were saying that they yeah, measured? Yeah, he was, he was, uh, I'm trying to think now in pounds, but he was just over six pounds. So he was 3.2 kilos, I think it was. So, yeah, he was a small baby. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they're so tiny. I remember. He was tiny. Yeah, I remember, like, just them handing me out this kind of they just look so odd when they come out as well because they're like covered in god only knows what um, yeah and I think as well I don't know if you experienced this but like and I suppose I didn't know this at the time but like that cesarean babies or babies that have been delivered by cesarean tend to be quite bloated because you know I think of the drip that we're having that they yeah. they kind of hold a lot of fluids and yeah so in the days kind of after having him like all of a sudden he was just even though he was tiny like his face was quite bloated and it was just every day kind of kept shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and I was like he's getting smaller like definitely and I remember my I remember Lucy coming out and I was like she was so I had an awful um she got stuck basically in the birth canal 
and okay. her head was squashed and she was facing the wrong way. There was a whole load of issues there. But I remember her coming out and she looked like a really old man. Because oh. <laughs> she had this big like line in her forehead that looked like a big crease. And um, I remember her coming out and being like, God, Ian, she looks so like your dad. <laughs> Poor Ian. Ian was like, oh, my God, you would have to say that about our newborn child. <laughs> yeah, forever etched in his memory now. <laughs> so then you finally have your baby that obviously mm. waited so long for. And what is going through your mind? I'd say you're just in shock. Yeah, I know, you know, the way everyone or maybe how it's portrayed is like this just so happy, you know, this like or surge of happiness or surge of love. And for me, I just felt utterly content. Content was the word that I could put with it. I just felt so at ease and at peace and just, yeah, content is the right word that I felt. Um, and it was just love. I just remember just holding him and um even when he was just when he was born the other way they hold him up over it like the the surgical gown kind of the image of him I can still picture it I will never forget the first time I laid my eyes on on Tyke you know just such an incredible incredible moment and you know for me after you know the way when you know Tim took Tyke and um while they do what they needed to do to me to like finish everything like with the surgery and all that like and I we came out into recovery and they said to me, you know, unfortunately, we can't bring Ty in into you. He's going to have to wait outside with Tim because unfortunately, a woman who was in recovery had just lost her baby. And out of respect to her that they weren't bringing any other babies in. And I absolutely got it. You know, I, I totally understood that I couldn't have Ty in that moment. Oh, my God. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. You know that. You, you know, you're in such a tiny room, there's four beds for recovery and that I would have, you know, Ty, when somebody has just lost their baby, you know, I absolutely understood. And I was like, he's safe. He's with Tim. He's with his dad, you know, he's yeah. there. He, you know, um, and so, you know, even in that time, kind of, it was my choice at the time that I wanted to breastfeed. And so we, I, we hand expressed um, to syringe feed Ty so that the nurse could go out to Tim because I suppose we were, I was probably about an hour I think it was probably about an hour that I was waiting um, while they kind of finished up with, with that, with the, the other girl. Um, and then Ty was able to be brought into me and he was, I was able to feed him then. Um, and I just remember probably like the most surreal time is in the rotunda. And it's probably the same in all of the hospitals that we, they were wheeling me down. And I remembered like these people kind of looking at me and being like congratulations congratulations and I was like I'm being wheeled down the same corridor I walked down to my bed like there's yeah. no like back route to get there like I have a baby that is neat like it's probably about an hour old and I'm being wheeled down like in just the public like it's where the public walk to like yeah. see people and I was like this is so surreal it's so bizarre that this is the way that I'd be brought down but just lovely like them them first few hours just I actually it's hard to kind of put words on the feeling that you have yeah when they're here and when they're just kind of like lying on your chest it's just yeah it's just so content and so happy it kind of goes by in a blur as well it kind of I just remember having a sense of like this is just so surreal I yeah. couldn't get my head around it and Lucy was born like mid 
COVID and all this. So the nurse was actually really lovely for us. She let us stay in the recovery ward a little bit longer because once I got moved to the ward, he wasn't allowed with me anymore. So I remember them being just so lovely and keeping us in the recovery ward. But it must have been lovely to be able to have Tim there for like basically the whole time. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, listening to your other episodes and stuff, just, yeah, the difficulties with COVID and, you know, having partners there. Um, it makes me feel really lucky that Tim could be part of that. Oh, and, absolutely. Yeah. You know, no. that he could come in and, you know, just be there and like that, you know, being to go to the toilet or shower or anything, you know, especially after having a section, like I'm sure, you know, other deliver like deliveries are the same but like your body is so not your sore body and not your body you know like <laughs> even trying to you know they, they keep kept saying you know obviously you know at night that you know the baby has to go in the cot and bed sharing is a whole other story that I won't go into but um trying to get your baby out of the cot after having a cesarean is nearly impossible oh absolutely and there's only so much help that the nurses and the midwives can give you on the wards as well, because there's so yeah. many other moms. And that's I, I will have to say, like, that was one thing that I struggled with because, you know, Ian was only allowed in for an hour a day while I was there. So he came in and he had to stay in my little cubicle. And if he left the cubicle, he'd have to leave. Um, okay. And I remember him coming in and, you know, being able to say to him, oh, could you grab the baby? And just that little bit of help that I was able to be oh can you grab the baby yeah because it was such a kind of an ordeal to get myself throw my legs over the bed and kind of get myself moving to get over to her and stuff like that so oh god yeah it really was um like I didn't find it a bad experience whatsoever I just found that part of it difficult was not having the support in the hospital but when I got home it was fantastic so yeah. what was life yeah. like for you when you got home with a newborn baby was it just yeah so well, surreal it's so surreal and I suppose we you know I think after having the section you have to be in for 72 hours so it was like the most bizarre Christmas it was like Christmas had happened like Ty was born on the 23rd and then you know two days later is Christmas and um it's just like it doesn't it didn't exist in a sense and you know, it was bizarre kind of for my family because they were like, he was in the hospital with, you know, our, our nephew and my grandson and, you know, Tim's from the UK and his dad was here. And, um, you know, there was a whole like cohort of people who wanted to be with him, but couldn't because obviously, you know, the regulations that I had to be in for 72 hours. So I was dying to get discharged. So I was like, right, I am ready to go home. I remember that morning going in Tim came in quite early and I was like okay I'm going in for a shower I'll get dressed and get ready to go and Tim had brought like Tyke's car seat and everything and the Tyke had to go for his heel prick test and uh, he came back and the midwife saying okay I have good news and bad news good news is everything's fine with the heel prick test but uh, bad news is you're not going home today and I just burst into tears and I just remember thinking like why aren't you letting me go like what I don't understand and Ty had dropped into the 11th percentile with his weight okay. um, so for people that don't know they drop but they can drop and the allowance is like you know 10 percent of their original them. body weight yeah and uh, so he dropped into the 11th percent they were like we can't discharge you 
And I just remember being so upset because I was like, I'm dressed. I've had a shower. The car seat is here. Like we're ready to go. Like I didn't really kind of understand, you know, kind of what was going on. And they said to me, you have to bottle feed him. To top him up, you have to bottle feed him. And I remember being so upset by that as well, because I thought, you know, I felt so strongly about breastfeeding him. Yeah. That I didn't. I didn't want to and I felt like I had to in order to get out of the hospital and in hindsight I wish I knew then what I know now um but again you know you have the luxury of hindsight I would have I think I would have spoken up but it's your first baby and you're in such a vulnerable vulnerable position and you want to get home for me I just wanted to get home so I just thought I'll, I'll do whatever yeah you want me to do and um so I had such a difficult night that night I really struggled um, you know feeding him and feeding him the bottle as well I just I really struggled with that there was there was a lot attached to that for me Um, so the next morning then they weighed him and they were like oh yeah Grant he's you know gone up like 20 grams I think that's how, like how little we're talking is like 20 grams and they were like yeah that's fine now he can go home and I just um, remember being like, thank God, I just want to get home. Just get me home. And I was on the way home and we were driving through Finglas and I got a phone call from the public health nurse. And she was like, so we're going to, um, I'm going to call up today. Are you ready? And I was like, I'm not even home from the hospital. And she was like, yeah. So when will you be back? Like, you know, and I was like, well, I'll be back in the next hour. She's like, so I'm just going to call in around then. And I was like, this isn't how I wanted this to be, you know? Yeah. But in some way, I was like, okay, I kind of get it. It's over Christmas and, you know, Christmas and New Year. So she came and obviously like her scales is somewhat different. So he was still in the 11th percentile on her scales. So she was just kind of saying, like, you know, we need to see him again in a a few days. Um, And I was like, that's fine. No problem. So the kind of the guidance that I'd been given was, you know, to continue with breastfeeding and, you know, but I would need to top him up with a bottle and I didn't really understand that but you know I knew that I just had to give him a certain amount kind of and um, so I think over the, like the course of that weekend then on the Monday we brought him and he'd only gained like 40 grams over three days which I think the expectation is that they would gain 40 grams a day or kind of something like that and mm. um, so there was concerns being highlighted at the time around his weight and what was happening you know with breastfeeding and at that point then it kind of came to my attention that maybe there was an issue with me breastfeeding yeah and my milk supply and um so I kind of I felt really strongly about breastfeeding and so I got onto the local Quidju group and spoke to them and they were so helpful and you know really kind of understood you know what was going on and this desire to to breastfeed um so there was kind of red flags at that point around my milk supply and how that might go and what I might be able to do to increase it. And there was kind of a lot of talk at the time around, you know, that obviously having a cesarean can impact your milk supply or like maybe delay it coming in. Yeah. So we were kind of holding out thinking, you know, is this, maybe that's what it is and we'll just top up. But we were really heavily monitored by the public health nurse um, at the time. And that was quite stressful, you know, having, a baby who had dropped into you know the higher higher end of five pounds so we're like really small baby um you know wouldn't have a lot more to kind of 
lose. Yeah, I remember speaking to somebody and their baby was quite big born. And then I think they were over eight pounds born and then they'd start to lose weight. But I was kind of in my head going a baby that size, not that you would want any baby to lose weight, but a baby that's born that big can afford to lose weight. But a small baby can't really afford to keep dropping weight. Yes. Yeah. And that, that that was the real feeling of like, he's small enough as it is, you know, he doesn't have. And I think at that point, you're, you're in the realm of like failure to kind of thrive. And there was, I remember somebody kind of saying that, and I'm a social worker and I worked in child protection for years and failure to thrive is significant, you know, red flag for me. And I remember thinking, we can't be at failure to thrive like what does this mean like what does this actually mean so um it kind of meant that you know that my I could have I could end my breastfeeding journey there you know in order to kind of stop this kind of pressure and you know and because it, it was it was very much like the formula was the solution rather than trying to look at kind of how I might increase my supply and that became such a difficult process for me because I really felt so strongly about breastfeeding. I'm not too sure where that came from, but it was, I really wanted to, and I really wanted to have the choice whether to stop. And I really felt strongly that like professionals who were advising me, weren't advising me how I could increase my milk supply or what I might be able to do to support that. It was like, okay, actually that's the end of that journey for you. Now you have to give him formula. And Ultimate, until I got like a lactation consultant it wasn't I didn't she just put it in perspective and she was like Aoife it doesn't matter how he's fed but he has to be fed yeah and that really resonated with me and I was like okay you know I'm not going to put him in harm's way I know like you know that the, that's that the formula is there and I have to use it but for me it was kind of more so how can my breastfeeding journey be kind of supported yeah you were lacking the support from the people that should have been giving you the support and you had to seek it elsewhere then yeah yeah exactly and um you know there was there was kind of lots of things when you think like when I look back and kind of go okay you know he was cesarean he was a breech baby and there's such a focus for me like when you go to like breastfeeding classes on like latching and you know a strong latch and a good latch Ty could never had an issue latching the issue was actually you know him getting the milk and my supply and that was compromised because he wasn't able to swallow kind of properly or, you know, kind of have the strength to draw the milk down and like that kind of letdown compromised my milk supply. So it wasn't about a latch. So this whole time, like I was focusing on, is he latched on? Is he not like, you know, calling the midwives over when I was in the hospital being like, is this right? Is it okay? And they're like, yeah, yeah, no problem. But nobody actually ever looked at the function of him swallowing. Okay. Um, and again, until I had, you know, we had um, a lactation consultant come out and she he was in like his like the little cocoon baby. And she was like, he has a tendency to go to look to his right. You probably need to get some body work done. And again, because he was breached and the position that he was in in the womb, he so he would have had like latching on and then being able to swallow would have been compromised because of maybe he might have been in a slight pain. Or, you know, that it mightn't have been just right. You know, he needed yeah. some manipulation basically on his neck. Um, so for me, like that, that whole piece was kind of really stressful because 
I wanted to breastfeed and I had such a strong desire to do it that it really kind of, you know, I ended up with the, lact- with the support of the lactation consultant. And my sister was a huge support during that. She, between Tig and my niece, there's only four weeks between them. Oh, that's and, amazing. Yeah, it's, it's so incredible. And so she was breastfeeding and she's such a, an amazing breastfeeding advocate. And I know in previous episodes, you were kind of talking about like the boob brigade and like there is this really like strong, some people, but like my sister just does it in the most natural, lovely way. And yeah. I remember one time just ringing her like, ball and crying down the phone being like I don't know like why isn't this happening for me and like she's a four week old at home like me yeah relying and she just took it all in her stride she was such a an amazing support like I wonder would I have gotten as far as I did breastfeeding without her and without I suppose without my lactation consultant she is just absolutely incredible um and just like I ended up that I I suppose they they call it kind of triple jobbing in that like I was breastfeeding I was topping up with formula and I was pumping all at the same time and it was exhausting there were times where like I'd set my alarm at five o'clock in the morning because around that time is the time where your body starts producing like the most milk so to try and like really you know be able to kind of stimulate your supply I was like setting my alarm at five o'clock with a newborn like to pump and that like I'm exhausted just thinking about that to be honest because I suppose and it's not I as I said in my previous podcast like I'm not anti-breastfeeding at all I'm just and I I'd be anti someone preaching to me about my choice to not breastfeed yeah absolutely and and that's what it is and it's nothing like and the more people that I speak to about breastfeeding the more that I think oh I would like to try it if I was ever lucky enough to get pregnant again and I definitely would you know give it a proper try um but I suppose like what would you advise to somebody who's trying to breastfeed or thinking about breastfeeding would you advise about getting a lactation lactation consultant I think you know that probably the best thing for me would have been to kind of link in with maybe a quid you group or like one of them kind of groups league or something like that prior because you know they they welcome bumps and babies okay um, so maybe to for me I don't know about you know actually getting a lactation consultant beforehand but I think maybe kind of because it might prepare it might have prepared me a little bit more to the reality of breastfeeding and um, you know people have this kind of view that it's the most natural thing in the world but doesn't mean that it's easy yeah And I think that's maybe where there's this kind of stigma around it is that, oh, well, it's natural. So therefore it's easy. It's not easy. There's nothing easy about, and it doesn't matter what way you feed your newborn, you have a newborn. It's not easy. It's extremely difficult time. I just could not get my head around. Like I found formula feeding quite tiring. And for me, that was an like, easier option as in I could if I was too tired I could give him a nudge and be like go down and get the bottle it's your turn to feed whereas if you're choosing to exclusively breastfeed you don't really have that option Mm. but then you were breastfeeding and then you were topping up so you've got you know you've got everything that comes with the breastfeeding so the tiredness you know possibly you could have pain Mm. nipple 
like all these issues that a lot of breastfeeding women have and then you have the bottle sterilizing and cleaning bottles and <laughs> buying formula and then you're pumping as pumping. well you must yeah. have just been wiped in those oh, first couple of weeks absolutely like and I remember kind of my lactation consultant saying to me like how long you can't sustain this for long Aoife so you have to give it like you know two weeks and a cut off and I remember just kind of thinking, okay, this is the last shot. Like we'll try it and whatever is the outcome from this, that's it. It's okay. You know, you've tried everything. And that was it. At the end of them two weeks, I just thought, okay, this is our journey. He's combination fed. I I, I don't have the supply and it's okay Okay. that I don't have it. It's not the end of the world. You know, this is just the journey that we're on. And I think because I tried everything, I was able to kind of come to terms with that. Yeah. It took me a good few weeks. You know, I really kind of grieved around that time. Like, and I I know grief is a strong word, but it was, there was grief that I couldn't do what I wanted to do. Um, But ultimately there was, I had a resolution at at the end of it. Um, And, but I think, you know, we look at like, you know, I hear people saying all the time, find your village. I don't know if anyone said that to you, like, you know, find your village and, you know, it'll make it easier. And I was like, how do I find my village in this like mad time of like having a newborn and trying to figure out about formula and breastfeeding and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, in hindsight, I had my village. It was here. Like it was my lactation consultant. It was my sister. It was my yeah. mom who didn't had no problem walking in on me sitting there with a pump, you know, an electronic pump. And she would make me laugh and say, Jesus, Aoife, if you're a cow, they'd probably shoot you. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, you know, and ultimately, Tim, he never questioned. He never questioned this desire to to do this, you know, for me to be on this journey. He would just constantly supported me throughout that. And I think you know, for new mums, that's, it's, you know, you hear kind of find your village and you're going, well, what village? I don't know. Like, where do I even look? Like, is it a quid you group? Is it this or is it that, you know? But, and I think it's certainly in pandemic times, it's probably even harder to kind of reach out and find, find And did it. you find that? Had you kind of, I suppose, I know we'd kind of mentioned it, but expectations versus reality. Did you have in your head that you were going to be going to breastfeeding groups and meeting other moms and going for coffee mornings and did you have that in your head and was that something else that you kind of had to let go of because of the pandemic yeah and I think you know like for me I had a taste of it it was nine weeks I think nine or ten weeks when we went into the first lockdown and so I had a taste of it and what it would look like and I really you know, welcome that support and being able to talk to mums really frankly and, you know, go down and speak to some of the consult, you know, the, the lactation kind of um, counsellors in, in Quiju. Um, so, yeah, I had to let go of all of that. Like I had that support and then it was gone. And, you know, it kind of went online, but, you know, in some ways it was just, it wasn't the same, that level of connection that you, that you had. So, yeah, I had these certainly coffee mornings my maternity leave in general like you know we were nine weeks I think so I spent my whole maternity leave almost in in lockdown and there is a lot that you have to let go of for your maternity leave I'm sure you're the same you know that you have all these kind of you know this is how I'm going to spend and for me and Tim like a huge thing that we always said is we'll get Tyg on a flight over to my sister as soon as we can 
Yeah, and I family um, in Tenerife. Yeah. On my mum's side of the family, that's where the strange name comes from. But on my mum's side, the family are in Tenerife. And I remember myself and Ian being like, oh, we're going to, you know, book a flight and go over and see all the family and introduce the baby. And, you know, my mum and my sister will come over with the kids and we'll have this big, lovely holiday. And that's like, that's a huge part that I'm kind yeah. of like, I've, I've really missed doing. Yeah. And, you know, there's all these things you don't even know that are there, like that you have an expectation about that you want, you know, for for you on on your maternity leave for you as the mom. Yeah. And then for you and your baby. And um, yeah, pandemic has thrown that completely out. Like I'm back, you know, I'm back to work since January. And so that's my whole maternity leave has been and has been in lockdown and yeah. um there are times where you kind of think actually you know sometimes I do think actually it's been a lovely way to spend my time with him and yeah. it's just been us and it's incredible and I don't have all this kind of white noise around what pram you should have and you know what you should be doing and what stage they should be at and you know all this kind of unfiltered advice in some yeah. ways you don't get that um, which in so I think is quite nice but then in other ways you really do feel like you're, you're kind of missing out and um that's hard I think you know when you you see it all the time all over social media like we're not meant to raise children by ourselves yeah it takes you know just us it it, you know it takes a community around you and you know I before Tiger was like well it does it's just you you have to look after but it's not it's actually about you know that everyone else minds you as their mom to be able to kind of do the best that you can yeah absolutely yeah that totally again like that's something that totally resonates with me is that I'm quite a person not that I depend on other people but I like the support of having other people around Mm. me that's always a huge thing for me I love you know if I'm having if I'm going through a bad time I can go and meet a friend for a coffee and we'll sit down we'll have we'll talk about the world and you know everything seems a bit brighter than afterwards you know if you're yes. having a bad day and you sit down with your friend and whether it's a glass of wine or a cup of coffee and you ha- chat like talk through things through and like as you said doing it over skype or zoom or facetime it's just not the same no, it's, it's just not. not the same but um it is it's the time that we live in at the minute and hopefully it won't last forever and hopefully when all this lifts we can all go out and have that glass of wine and cook coffee and yeah and I think you know what like you know for mums who are listening who are experiencing this you know in a pandemic and haven't experienced anything but but that you know there are things out there that you can still you know reach out to people and you know to to find your village in a different way essentially you know that whatever it is whether it's quid you whether there's other groups you kind of have to throw yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit and put yourself out there and think okay actually you know I'm not the only one that's experiencing this yeah and I actually had someone talk to me about doing kind of like um a mom and baby coffee morning over zoom right yeah I had someone reach out and say you know that'd be an idea that they'd love to do is you know have a group of say 10 women with their babies and it'd be a bit of like madness having all these kids on zoom but like I suppose it's like my baby's never seen another baby yeah yeah because she's never had that interaction like my nephews are 10 and 8 okay so 
she's never seen another baby another little person like she's never she seen Mary yeah, like yeah. no she's never seen another little person um so I, I I loved that idea I thought that was lovely so I, I think must have a look lovely. online to see if there's any available out there and I might try to stick a link up on the Instagram page to see if there's anything like that going around or if anyone had organized one or if anyone yeah. would like to organize one I'm not sticking my own hand up absolutely <laughs> But Aoife, it has been so lovely speaking with you. I've loved your honesty and just I've loved having the chat with you. And I just love that you got your happy ending. And that you've got your little man. I just (laughs) I have loved speaking with you. Thank you so, so much for chatting with me. And to the listeners, don't forget that if you want to be featured on the Irish Mammy podcast, you can contact me on my Instagram page, the Irish Mammy podcast.